So uh, we are going through the Gospels. We're going through the Gospels, and the, 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 here's the cool thing about slowing down and going through this thing, which has been over a year now, is you can take all the stuff that you've just kind of read through and, and not understood, and uh, we're trying to understand it. And I believe the only way to do that is through a Jewish perspective. Because if you just read the Bible and you don't have the Jewish perspective, then you do have contradictions because you don't understand it. But understand, Jesus was a Jew. I know that's news to some people probably in this room, but Jesus was a Jew and he was uh, basically under the laws of the Jewish faith. And so... Uh, based upon that, here, here's what's happened so far is Jesus has been arrested in the garden. That's where I'll pick up. Jesus was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane because Judas came up and identified him and kissed him on the cheek. The Roman cohort arrested him. They took him to Annas first, which was the high priest for the Jews, recognized as the high priest because he had not died yet. Then they took him to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that the Romans recognized as the high priest because they deposed Annas and made Caiaphas the next high priest. And during this time, during this religious trial time, they accused him and convicted him of blasphemy on their, in their own terms, their own words. Judas is watching from a distance, and then it says Judas went out, and because of his remorse, not his repentance, but his remorse, he went and hung himself. He went and hung himself, died, hanging there the night before the Passover is going to happen on Friday. We'll explain this here in just a second. So they know that they can't do the Passover unless they get rid of the dead body inside of Jerusalem. So They've literally gone out and bought land outside of the city walls, the southwest corner of the city walls, which was prophesied in Jeremiah. And go back to last week's lesson and hear all this. Jeremiah had cursed this land because of the disobedience of the Jews. They bought cursed land. And they threw Judas's body over the city wall into this land and his inside spilled out, as it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 18. You solve that contradiction. Now they're getting ready to take Judas to Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor in charge of the Jews. He's the one that's like the Romans don't care for the Jews. And they said, Pilate, this is your job. You're going to govern these group of people. And he didn't care for that job too much. The Jews and Pilate did not get along at all. So that's where we pick up this morning is right there in Matthew chapter 27, verse 2. Actually, it started at 1. It says, when daybreak come, it's Friday... It's Friday, it's no longer Thursday. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. That was the religious trial. After tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Now I'm going to jump to John chapter 18, verse 28. 
And I'm going to camp here for a second because this is our next contradiction or maybe a solution to a contradiction. In John chapter 18, verse 28, it says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. Some of your translations will say the praetorium. The praetorium. The praetorium was this building that we believe was built by Herod the Great. The reason he was called the Great is because he was a great architect. He loved to build things. In fact, he built probably seven to ten different palaces all throughout Israel. The dude was taking taxes from the Jews and building incredible... I'm telling you, he had... He had saunas, he had swimming pools, he had palace. It was unbelievable and beautifully decorated. Herod was a great architect. So now we believe, now that Herod is gone, we believe that Pilate was probably in one of these facilities that Herod built. Therefore, it's considered Roman. Therefore, it's considered to be Gentile, not Jewish. Are you tracking with me? They take him to the praetorium, the governor's palace, which is Roman-controlled, Roman-built. Pilate, we said this last week, was the governor, assigned the governor of the Jews from 26 A.D. to 36 A.D., and we're saying that Jesus was actually crucified in 30 A.D. Where we are in the scripture right now is 30 A.D., so we're about halfway through Pilate's reign as governor of the Jews. And again, I'll say he hated the Jews. He was cruel to the Jews. Look what he did. Luke 13.1 says this, Now on the same occasion... There were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. (laughs) You see, the sacrifices was what this thing, this whole Jewish faith was all about, making the sacrifices, and Herod was just mean. He didn't care about their perfect blood sacrifice. He actually was intent on mixing some of that with tainted blood. He almost antagonized the Jews. There was no love between the Jews and Pilate. Back to verse 28. It says, It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. How many times have you read that verse and just blown right through it? Wait, we've already eaten the Passover. If it's Friday morning, we ate the Passover on Thursday. We've been talking about Thursday in here in this room since June. That's how much information that we've given about the Passover meal. It took us three or four weeks to go over that Passover meal And now it just says that they would be unable to eat the Passover. That sounds like a contradiction. Unless you know what's taking place here. 
we know Jesus had previously eaten the Passover meal, which is described in Jewish language as the Paschal meal, P-A-S-C-H-A-L, the Paschal meal on Thursday night with his disciples. It was also considered the feast of the unleavened bread as referred to as the Passover. Now wait, there's seven feasts that are mentioned in Leviticus 23 that God says you Jews are supposed to practice these seven feasts. Actually, there's eight because he says the Sabbath right before that, that every week you're supposed to have a ceremonial Sabbath and eat together, much like we're going to do today after the service, is going to eat together. But the other seven feasts that we talk about are one is the Passover, the unleavened bread, the first fruits, the Pentecost, the atonement, and the tabernacle, which is the Feast of the Booths. Now watch this. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread lasted seven days. Seven days. That's how long it lasted. The Passover now, because of what it says in Luke 22.1, watch this. Now the feast of the unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The feast of the unleavened bread, which is called the Passover. Wait, the Passover was one feast, and the feast of the unleavened bread was another one. But they kind of combine them together. You see, the Passover happened on the 14th and 15th of Nisan, And the Feast of the Unleavened Bread happened on the 15th through the next six days. So a lot of times the Jews will combine the two together, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and the Passover together. So now, in the context of what we're reading, the Passover could be seven days. You with me? Could be not just Thursday night meal, but it could be seven days. So when it's referred to in Scripture, just remember the Passover was longer than Thursday night. Jesus had already eaten this Paschal meal with his disciples on Thursday. Now, so what is this verse, John eighteen twenty eight, saying? They would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover if it's already occurred. Well, there's another meal that takes place on Friday morning at 9 a.m. And it's called the Hagagi. Hagagi sacrifice. I know it's spelled C-H-A-G-I-G-A-H. Hagagi. All right? Look at Deuteronomy 16, verse 2 and 3. Sacrifice to the Lord your God, a Passover animal from the herd or flock, in the place which the Lord chooses to have his name dwell. Do not eat leavened bread with it. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread with it, the bread of hardship, because you left the land of Egypt in a hurry so that you may remember for the rest of your life the day you left the land of Egypt." 
Do not eat leavened bread with it. What is it? It's the Higagi sacrifice. That's what it, it is. There's this sacrifice that takes place at 9 a.m. Now watch this. This is, this is interesting. Edersheim says when he's describing the temple, I read this uh, this week and I thought it was a great discovery. And I wanted to share just some segments from this. Three things were implied in the festive command to appear before the Lord. Presence, the Hagagi, and joyousness. The first of these terms meant that everyone was to come up to Jerusalem and to offer a burnt offering, if possible on the first or else on one of the other six days of the feast. Did you hear this? The first thing that they had to do about the Passover is they had to come to Jerusalem and they had to be present. They had to be present and they made their presence known by making a sacrifice. This was their initial sacrifice. And then it says the Hagagi was strictly a peace offering. It was only to be offered if the Paschal day fell on a weekday, not on a Sabbath. The Paschal fell on Thursday. So now there's going to be a second sacrifice offering which happens on Friday morning at 9 a.m. And if the Paschal lamb alone would not have been sufficient to give a satisfying supper to the company which gathered around it, they were to have this second sacrifice. And then, this is the intriguing one. The third duty incumbent on those who appeared at the feast was joyousness. Like, they came and they were present. Then they had this agagi sacrifice. And now they're supposed to have joyousness. Watch. It says, This expression, as we have seen, simply referred to the fact that according to their means, all Israel were doing during the course of the festival with joyous heart to offer peace offerings which might be chosen from sacred things. Thus the sacrifices which every Israelite was to offer at the Passover were besides his share in the Paschal Lamb, a burnt offering. The Hagagi, one or two of them, and a burnt offering of joyousness, all as God had blessed each household. Do you you get this? Jesus had the Passover meal with his disciples on Thursday night. Peter and John had made the sacrifice and brought the animal and they, they partook in it on Thursday night. The Hagagi was the next morning, on Friday morning. And the whole time there's supposed to be a sense of joyousness. Joyousness. You ever heard that word? That's what Danny was doing up here. If you, if you didn't just have like fun singing that, then you weren't doing what the Jews commanded you to do. You're supposed joyousness. Yeah, you you have joyousness because you're reminding about what God had done that He freed them from the the slavery of the Egyptians. So, how many times have you taken the Lord's Supper? <laughs> have you taken the Lord's Supper and actually had joyousness? 
Most everybody here in this room grew up taking the Lord's Supper in a solemn, sad situation. But that's not what the Jews were told to do. They were said, you're supposed to be joyous when you take the Passover meal. Are you kidding me? I was with a group of guys this weekend, and we were just talking about it. What, what causes us to experience the Lord's Supper nowadays in such a solemn mood? And one said, that's because the disciples lost their best friend. They were going to lose Jesus. Yeah, that's true the first year. That's true the first year. I'm sure there was a sadness that occurred, but then the Holy Spirit came and they saw things from a totally different perspective. If they could zoom out and see the bigger picture, there ought to be a sense of joyousness, right? Because if Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, be buried, raise again, go sit next to the seat of God, the right hand of God, and then send his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. <laughs> the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in your mortal bodies. Hello? Holy cow. Do you, do you realize that? That God created you. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit had this incredible relationship with one another. And they said, hey, let's invite some others to this relationship. Wouldn't that be cool? They can, they can experience us. We can experience them. Hello? The Spirit came and lives inside of us. So now we're going to do the Lord's Supper and we're going to be sad. Ha! Huh. That's what I grew up with. Well, you need to get your heart right and you need to confess all your sins before you can drink of the blood. I did that when I was eight. And guess what he did? He forgave me of all my sins, past present, and future. I didn't have to ask for forgiveness again, but I was told that I had to. I was told that I had to do it over and over and over and over again every night before I went to bed. Just ask for forgiveness. And every time I did, I was putting Jesus back up on the cross because he had to die so my sins could be forgiven. Are you kidding me? Well, that's what I was told. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not ongoing. That happened one time. I was taught that it was ongoing. Now I've learned that I'm totally forgiven. I can still pray at night. I can still kneel beside my bed and pray at night. But guess what? Lord, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for sending your spirit to live inside of me. Thank you for sending your spirit to reign in me. Thank you for sending your spirit that I can be told how to live my life through your spirit rather than laws, rather than commandments. I can just choose to know you and choose to follow you. I fell at that sometimes. 
Sometimes I follow myself, my old flesh, my old flesh, not my new creation. I'm learning more and more every day to walk in my new creation. But joyousness, you're supposed to have joyousness. That was one of the things the Jews said is you're supposed to have joyousness. Now, let's go back to John. Uh, oh, I'm, I, I still need to explain what's going on here. So get this. They had already been cleansed for the Paschal. They had already been cleansed for the Paschal meal on Thursday night. Right? They did all that on Thursday morning. They cleansed themselves, made the sacrifice, came back and had the meal together. Everything was done. Now, they're afraid. It says that they're afraid to go into the governor's palace because if they do, they will be defiled and can't take the Passover. It's Friday morning. There's another Passover meal that's coming. But if we step into a Gentile, if we step into a Gentile territory, we become unclean. They didn't want to go into the governor's palace. The Mishnah, you know that book, the oral law that the Jews all, the big thick book, says this. Dwelling places of Gentiles in the land of Israel are unclean. If they walked into the governor's palace they couldn't participate in the Hagagi ceremony that morning at 9 o'clock. And the reason they couldn't is because back in Leviticus chapter 22, verse 6, it says this, the man who touches any of these will remain unclean until evening. They would be unclean the rest of the day. They couldn't participate in that morning sacrifice. And then you go to the Mishnah, it says, a, when one, th- this is a hard read right here, right? This is like oral law by the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and kind of translated into English here. It says, when one does bring a festal offering with it over and above the Passover offering, it is offered on an ordinary day in a state of cleanliness. And the meat of the Passover offering is not sufficient for all those that register it. Now watch this. But when it is offered on the Sabbath and meat is abundant and most people are in a state of uncleanliness, they do not bring with it a free will festal offering. He's literally saying right there, if you are unclean, you can't bring the offering during that, that sacrifice. You can't bring it. That's the Mishnah. That's their rules. That's their laws. So therefore, you know what that tells me? There's a second sacrifice that happens. The Hagagi actually happens. If you're reading the scripture, you're not going to know that. There's going to be conflict there, what John says versus what Matthew, Mark, and Luke say. How can he be the sacrificial lamb, how can he be the sacrificial lamb if the Passover meal happened on Thursday night? Now we know. There's a second sacrifice that occurs. 
Now watch this, verse 29. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? Hmm. You see, Roman law demanded that a formal charge be brought before a trial. You can't just have a trial for no reason. You have to explain why you're bringing this man in to try him. Well, there's a problem here because they thought they had Judas as a witness that was going to bring the conviction charge. But now Judas is dead. No one's there to bring this charge against Jesus. The charge from the religious trial was blasphemy. You bring that to Pilate, and he could care less about blasphemy. That's not a civil charge. That's a Jewish charge. So now what are you going to do? Well, we're going to continue with this process anyway. We're going to take Jesus to Pilate, and we're just going to hope that Pilate understands that if this doesn't occur, then there's going to be disruption in the ranks, and it could get really messy. So let's just cross our fingers and hope that Pilate will convict this man of something and he'll die. Watch this. This gets so good. Verse 30, it says, They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate's going, What's he here for? Well, he's a criminal. (laughs) Otherwise, we wouldn't have brought him to you. But what's the charge? Well, he's a criminal. But what's the charge? You can see the conversation happening. And Pilate told him, you take him and you judge him according to your law. Again, Pilate and the Jews didn't get along. He didn't care about helping them out. He didn't care what the situation is. You go back, you judge him according to your laws. Oh, now we have an issue because... Watch this. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death. (laughs) You kidding me? The Jews have been stoning people for years. And it was legal. Right? They've been stoning people based upon their sinful behavior. That means they've been killing people. They've been putting them under religious trial, stoning them and killing them. And now he says right here, he says, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Now watch this. Here's what I know. Based upon Psalm 22, verse 16. And based upon Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, is my Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, had to die on a cross. He had to die on a cross to fulfill prophecy that had already been declared. You go to Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of all... Now, Galatians is after the cross... Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That comes out of a direct quote of Deuteronomy 21, 23. 
Whoever is cursed has to be hung on a tree. How did the Jews kill people? Stone them. They don't hang them on a tree and stone them. They just stone them. So how are we going to fill prophecy? How do you get them on a tree? Oh, guess who the only governing authority puts criminals on a tree and kills them? The Romans. Hmm. Now the Jews really have a problem. Well, not the Jews, but God has a problem. How's he going to fulfill prophecy about his son dying on a tree? Jewish perspective. You don't have this book. If you have this book, you're a little weird. But the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian... I actually have this book. says this. This is another hard read. Watch this. If we should propose that it is Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai... Did he ever sit in a Sanhedrin that tried a murder case? Stick with me. And has it not been taught on Tannanite authority? The lifetime of Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai was 120 years. For 40 years, he was engaged in a trade. For 40 years, he studied the Torah. And for 40 years, he taught. And it has been taught on Tannanite authority. 40 years before the destruction of the temple. What year did the temple happen? 70 A.D. 40 years before the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. would be what year? 30 A.D. or the year that we're in right now. The year Christ died. Are you kidding me? It's the exact same year. Watch this. Watch. Forty years before the destruction of the temple, the Sanhedrin went into exile and conducted its sessions in Hanut. And said, Rabbi Isaac bar Abadnai, that this is to say the Sanhedrin did not judge cases involving penalties. Up until this point, the Jews convicted people, tried people, convicted people, and stoned them and put them to death. The Roman authority took their authority to kill people away the same year that Jesus had to die on a cross. Are you kidding me? That's history. Go back, go back and look. That's Roman history. Are you kidding me? Do you see God in this? That the exact year that Jesus was to die on the cross, he took the authority of the Jews away to stone people. And the only way people could die now was because of Roman crucifixion. It's the only way. (laughs) The Bible doesn't contradict itself. It speaks the truth. And God fulfilled prophecy day after day after day after day. You take that Bible right there and you line it up with history. The history books. You line it up with the Jewish Mishnah. You line it up with the Jewish Babylonian Talmud. 
and you can see exactly how it all plays out perfectly. No mistakes. Are you kidding me? Jesus had to die on a cross. God made it happen. I'm stopping right there. He's still still in front of Pilate. He's still in front of Pilate. But know this. My God is perfect. He's holy. He's righteous and redeemed. And he made me the same way. And he made you the same way. He made you holy. He made you righteous. He redeemed you. You don't have to ask for forgiveness every night. He died one time on the cross. One time. He's not going back up on the cross. He has perfected you. He loves you. He created you for a relationship with Him, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you today uh, just make that come alive in us, your kids. That you love us dearly. That you care for us. That you just remind us every moment of every day of who we are. So when the bullies do come along, We have your spirit reminding us that we're dearly loved. And that we have the ability to overcome the power of sin that constantly pounds us. I pray that for those that are sitting in this room that are feeling weak today. That you would just give them strength that can only come from you. That they may be encouraged, that they may be loved. And Father, I pray that you even use the people sitting around them to do that. That maybe the people around the room just need to open their eyes and see that uh, there's hurting people sitting next to them. So I trust you. I trust you with your word. trust you with your spirit in us. And I thank you for a day that we can come and love you and worship you together. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.